Thanks, Steve. Thank you, team. Appreciate the wonderful ministry and song that we've already enjoyed this morning. Worship is sweet, and uh, that indeed was a sweet time. Thank you for each and every one. Let's just look to the Lord for a moment in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together in this place knowing that you have said your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And how can a young man, a young woman take take heed, but to take heed according to your word? So we pray, Lord, that you will open your word, that the Holy Spirit will be the master teacher, that our hearts will be directed to him, that we will not see the vessel, but we will see the life-giving water that streams forth from your Son, that we will see him, that we will run to him, and that we will embrace the one who is worthy of all adoration. And we give you our thanks and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how you spent yesterday. Um, I just uh, had to put us into context. Um, And uh, being that this is November 1st, this is also a very important day in the church calendar for other reasons as well. A certain gentleman known as a uh, priest by the name of Martin Luther, uh, printed up and posted his 95 thesis. I don't know how many of us have actually read that, but it was an attempt to establish that indulgences were not the way to go. And what does this have to do with salvation, you might ask? Everything. Everything, not just because of this, but also because while this topic is the topic of salvation, we find a whole slew of differing views on what the Bible says about salvation. That was the interesting thing that I discovered in reading and doing the research, that all of a sudden, what we thought was simple straight and cut and dried for the Christian church is not so cut and dried. What we've attempted to do here is uh, uh, Randy, he he embraced all the different faiths and looked at what they were teaching about salvation. He found that there was quite a contrast. But, of course, in our society there's quite a contrast. Amazing that an individual contributing for personal salvation, 51% of those uh, felt that, yes, uh, someone has to contribute something. And another 7% weren't sure, so that's 58% of those that were polled. And this is a pretty accurate poll, very current. It was done in 2014. So uh, it, it has to say something about our society right now, doesn't it? It also found that, that there is a second poll. People will have a second chance to follow God after they die. Look at the numbers. They're, they're, you know, agree and agree somewhat. We're talking 30, 30% there. Uh, disagree, oh, just a bit, somewhat, another 15%. And not sure, 25%. So the only 30% strongly disagree. That's amazing that, that people would assume that, uh, that the Bible teaches. Obviously, they had to find it from someplace. I'm assuming they found it from the Bible. Maybe not. And then this is a third, a third survey that I was able to pick out. Many ways to get to heaven. Wow, we've got... agreed strongly or agreed somewhat, and 14% weren't sure. That's a pretty high percentage of the population today that 
really doesn't know if there's one or many ways to get to heaven. Well, this is our one of our grandchildren's artwork, and I just thought this was so appropriate because today is going to be awesome. Not me, but the day, because this is the gate of the Lord unto which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. And we sing that song, this is the day, this is the day. And we sing it uh, as a children's song. We sing it about our day. But really the psalmist it prophetically was saying the day that the builders rejected the cornerstone was the day that was the day that we rejoiced in. Now, can you imagine? I, I think some of us were here when the bricklayers laid the cornerstone. And it was a pretty significant day for this, this group of Christians. And every time there's a cornerstone. But can you imagine if that cornerstone had been thrown into the ditch there by the highway and, and well, the temple cornerstone couldn't be found because it was so unique in its shape. And history records that the temple cornerstone was of Solomon's temple refused, rejected, and thrown off a cliff. And they had to retrieve it from down at the bottom of the ravine in order to establish Solomon's temple. And that is exactly a picture of the Lord Jesus, the stone that came into this world rejected by man. And so, by way of review, Brother Steve looked at God is. So who are you worshiping? And for those of you who have not heard his message, you ought to take a listen. You ought to take a listen to Phil's message, too. Well, actually, you should be listening to all the messages. If you're missing those messages, why? I ask again, why are you missing them? Because most of us have Internet. And most of us can download, even on our cell phones, all those messages if we wanted to. So I would encourage you, not chasing a rebuke, just encourage you. The, the word is there. If you can't get out for service because of shift work or because of whatever, just take advantage. And chapter 2, God is a personal God. Excellent, excellent message. God is personal. And how well do you know him? Today, we're looking at the next in the series, salvation. As Randy said, it was the most difficult of all, but one thing he could come up with, that was there is an explanation for why we need salvation. You know, today, not everybody believes that you need salvation. You know, there are people out there that you bump by, I'll bump into, and they'll say, nothing wrong with me, I'm okay, you're okay. You know, I've got a few flaws, I've got a few little problems, a little vice here, a little you know, problem there, but eh, I'm basically a good person. Lots of people out there don't see there being a problem. But there was a problem, and it's called separation from God. Genesis 3 speaks of that separation. Genesis 3 is an historical account of historical people who made a historical big mistake. And we get to reap the benefit of that big mistake. Because they caught a virus. And that virus is sin. They established their separation by disobedience and by disbelief in God's promises. And, of course, they listened to the wrong source. And they listen to Satan who said, has God said? And that's a similar question that he keeps asking over and over again. Has God said this? Oh, no, no, no. He hasn't said that. We need to go back to the Bible and listen to what God has said. He, of course, reminds them that they shall be gods. And that's the primary doctrine of the other religion. The other faith. You see, there are two great faiths in this world. 
There is the faith that the Lord established, and there is the faith that the other guy established. Satan himself established a religion about himself, and he wanted us to worship him. Well, we got separated, and that virus has been spread to us, but I love the fact that in Genesis 3, in the midst of that separation, it says this verse, verse 21, And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, and he clothed them. I often think that's the most missed verse in the entire account of the fall of man. Because here's redemption. Here is God himself offering up a sacrifice and then bringing the skins to clothe the first man and women in their sinfulness. And he's providing redemption, a blood sacrifice. Of course, that uh, separation still effectively meant that we were separated from God and he drove out man. In Genesis 3.24 it says that he placed a flaming sword and and the cherubim which turned every way to keep the way from the tree of life. We were separated from the tree of life. The pattern of blood sacrifice established all through the Old Testament, right up to the time of the flood and beyond, because blood sacrifice was established at the time of Exodus. In Exodus 12:13, this blood shall be a sign for you. What was it? The blood of an innocent sacrificial lamb or goat. And it was to be applied. It was to be applied on the doorpost, on the lintel. And it said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. There's a picture that happens all through the Old Testament economy. And so, we have that picture the prophet Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 53. I'm going to ask us to do something a little different now. For those of you who've gone to sleep, you better wake up. Um, But for those of you... Uh, who like to re- read responsively or read together, this is our opportunity to read together. So I'm going to ask us to read these passages a little bit from Isaiah 53. Let's read it together. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This chapter in Isaiah 53 is called the hidden chapter. Why? 
because it's rarely read in the Jewish synagogues of today. In fact, if you talk to a devout and orthodox person of the Jewish faith, you may be discovered that they've never in their entire life read this chapter. It's a powerful chapter and it speaks of Jesus. And this is the one who Simon Peter preaches to the believers and to those who were disciples and to the many who were not. And he says, Be it known unto you and all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught by of you the builders, which has become the head of the corner. He's quoting back to Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So he points to these people, and there's a huge crowd, and he says, Jesus, the one you called the radical, the one you called the false prophet, the one you called the false messiah, he is the one that is really the messiah. He is the one who can make you whole. And so Paul as he discovered and taught, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is the gift of God. Some of us have really over the years have reversed the wording in this verse. And we read it like this. For by faith are you saved through grace. That's not what it says. It's by grace you are saved through faith. And there is quite a difference in that understanding. And so, as the Lord Jesus came, as God the Son, to his world, as that little child and then grew, and as that little child grew and became a, a low, older man and, and then uh, assumed the calling that which he had been called for, we have to ask ourselves, how does the New Testament describe establishing a relationship with the God of the universe? Or more primarily, this one, Jesus. Well, he called his disciples to come to him and be a disciple. Come, follow me. I am so enjoying our little men's study that we get together. Last week, Francis Chan put it this way. Sometimes we are like a football team. And those of us who've played football know what it's like, you know. You get out there in the huddle and the quarterback calls the play and you, you get out there and you do the play. And he says, sometimes we in the church are just like a football team. There's Jesus, the quarterback. And he says, come on, team, come on into the huddle. And we all go down and he says, now listen, this is the play. This is how we're going to reach the word for Jesus Christ, for me, for the Father, for the Holy Spirit. This is what you got to do. All right, you got your play? All right, ready, set, hot one, hot two, hot three. And then the team goes back to the stands. Waits for another week for that holy huddle again. And then Jesus calls her back down. Come on, team. Come on down to the huddle. And yeah, we have a good huddle. And he says, now, here's the play for this week. Here's what I want you to do. Ready, set, hut one, hut two, hut three. And the team goes back to the stands. Do you get the message? Francis Chan put it well, and I think he puts it to my heart that we need to get into the game. You know, so many of us as, as believers are having a blast. I mean, we have fun. 
We have good times together. But there's a world lost world out there, perishing on a sinking Titanic. And we need to be out there with him in the playing field. So, that's what he called them. Be a disciple. Come follow me. Of course, he said that to many of his disciples. Peter, James, John, Nathaniel. Come follow me. Matthew, Matthew 9, 9. Come follow me. So, what does it mean to have a relationship? It means to be a disciple. Uh, sometimes people didn't want to be the type of disciple that he wanted. They had other plans. I've got to do this, Lord. I've got to go say goodbye to my family. I've got to do this. Um, and he said, no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So he speaks of us as first disciples. Actually, the early Christians were first called disciples. We, 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 we missed that point. Before the term Christian was used, you were a disciple. Uh, we've reversed it. We've said today, oh, there are lots of Christians and some disciples. No, no. If you are a born-again believer, you are a disciple of Jesus. You're his student. You live, you love, you follow, you imitate, you pursue him. But more than that, the second thing was, he spoke of it becoming into a new family as a child, particularly as a child of God. Now, it's rather interesting. There were 12 tribes in the tribes of Israel. Every person in Israel could tell you what tribe they belonged to, except maybe the ones that kind of got mixed up a bit when they came back from, from uh, Babylon. But uh, generally, they were pretty serious about keeping track of where their genealogy comes from. There's a 13th tribe I'd like to suggest today, and that's the tribe of Jesus. Now, he's really of the tribe of Judah, so you want to get technical. But, uh, but nevertheless, we belong to him. We're part of his family. We're his children. And of course, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. Now, I love the fact that that applies to those who are establishing peace, like the police and, and the security. Thank you. And uh, those who do those uh, difficult tasks. But it's not just that. It's any one of us establishing peace. There's no peace but by the peace of the, of the cross, is there not? And so, becoming a child. Matthew 18, not written here, but certainly worth quoting. Matthew 18, 3. Except you become as a child, become converted. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, a child of God is the second way Jesus spoke of our relationship with him. We are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26. Many other references to that. But more than that, he also spoke of it as being born again. The third way he spoke of becoming connected with the relationship with God. And of course, that was the famous passage to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he surprised a very religious and devout man by saying, you need a complete makeover. Now, that, that's, that's the way we would say it today. But in his day, he was born again? What? I'm a religious guy. I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm devout. No, you need complete change of heart. You need to be born again. Have you been born again? Have you experienced what it is to know a complete birth from outside of yourself? 
This birth has a conception date. We're not real sure on those ones, but we do know that the, 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 the date of the birth, most of us, some of us are a little fuzzy on that. I, I know my own date was somewhere in March of 1970, but I haven't been able to figure out the exact date. But I do know this. Once I was blind, and then I saw. Once I was living in darkness, and now I had light. Just like Paul on that road to Damascus. What was the first thing he says as that light of the Lord Jesus speaks to him? Who are you, Lord? He wants identity. That's really critical. There are people around the world who are saying, who is, who is God? Who is this God? And he says, I am Jesus. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he trembling said, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's the first thing that happens. Your heart is turned from, from being a rebel to being a servant. He says, what do you want me to do? And he says, just go. And it'll be told you. I find that interesting. The Lord doesn't give him the whole plan. I, I like plans. Do you like plans? You know, you like to, you like to be able to say, okay, we're going here first and then we go down this way and we got bookings for this place and we got this all planned. God doesn't always do that. We love to have everything just neatly packaged up, don't we? And we gotta watch that. Sometimes, if the Lord Jesus were to step in here in a, a way that we weren't used to, we might find it a little bit confusing. Oh, it's not kind of the way we had it planned. You know? But God is a God of infinite variety and He loves to do it His way. He will not share His glory with another. This birth is so powerful, it's talked about as a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17. Wonderful verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we've talked about it being a disciple, being a child, being born again. The new way to get reconnected with God is, fourthly, a fruitful life. He actually describes it as a fruitful tree. And he says, you know, do you get fruit out of this cluster of thistles? Well, I remember when we first moved into our uh, our present day existing property, the first job we had to do was whack down some nasty thistles that were growing in the backyard. And we've all experienced that, and I didn't find any grapes there. I didn't find any plums or pin cherries or anything growing amongst that. There was just Nasty thistles. And he says, every, even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. So you, the fruit tree brings forth good fruit. If you're connected with Jesus, you're going to be bringing forth good fruit. Now, the question is, if you're not bringing forth good fruit, what tree are you connected to? See, the Lord gives us tests. Paul told the Corinthians, test yourself. See if you're in the faith. And too often we sit back and say, oh, I went through, I, I did my confirmation, I did my baptism, I did my confession, I stood up at the front and got baptized, I might even have done it by immersion. But the point is not what we did. Is it, did God do anything? See, the relationship we have with the living God is a two-way relationship. And it's like marriage, you know. Uh, it would be really tough if, if you were married to somebody and they never talked, they never spoke back, they never connected with you. There was no 
acts of love. There was no little silly things happening. Um, that would be really terrible to be married in that kind. But some of us have gotten the idea that, that Christianity is about all us. And we've never let the Lord into our lives. We've simply done a religious act. No fruit. And so he says, nothing good there just to cast into the fire. Number five, the relationship connection with God is described as a new house. While we were down in Toronto visiting with my daughter, she was able to take us to a new section of town where in Markham they have a section devoted to relocating houses, heritage homes. And they bring these old farmhouses that might have been a new market or might have been a, a various places. They bring them all and they put them into a subdivision. It's really cool. And we got the chance to see the end results. They've been doing this now since the 90s. And uh, there's a nice little subdivision and all these heritage homes. And, and it's, it's really, if you haven't been through that area, you've got to check it out. It's worth checking. But here's the thing. We are like an empty house that the Lord Jesus describes. We want to get our lives cleaned up. So we go to program after program. We go to fix-it programs. We do all kinds of things. And the Lord says, you're just like an empty house. And, and unless you have it filled with the right person, you're just going to have those problems come back again. And that problem he describes is that seven spirits even more wicked than the first going back into that empty house. Now, this house was sitting there. I, I was amazed at how that house could be brought. All of, I, I just couldn't even imagine how they did that, keeping all those bricks intact. But the beautiful thing about it is that God wants to take your house and fill you with his Holy Spirit. Cleanse it and make you new from the inside out. And so, yes, people will see the same exterior, perhaps. But the, what they're going to see is they're also going to see the light of God flowing from your heart and from your life. So what must I do to be have a relationship? Well, he, the Lord Jesus was asked that question in John chapter 6, and he answered it this way. This is the work of God. You believe on him whom he has sent. Now, belief on him is more than just the belief that he died on that cross. It is, includes that. But so many of us leave him on the cross. You know what? A, a dead savior on the cross is a pretty safe situation to invite into your life. But you invite the living, resurrected Jesus Christ into your life, and man, that's a different story. Because he starts making you do things you never thought possible. And he gets uh, gives you a little nudge there and a little jug there and he, a little steer this way. And all of a sudden, you're going forward in areas you never expected. And so he says, therefore, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, here's a part that it's something that's really kept. Important, And the scripture says, whoever believes on him is not ashamed. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Does talking about Jesus get you upset? Like, I don't want to let my friends know that I'm a Jesus freak. I'm not going to say anything about Jesus in front of my companions or my workers or my buddies. No way. Uh-uh. I'm not going to. I'm not. Uh, are you ashamed of Jesus? Now, that's a question only you can answer. 
But Paul says here, the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him is not ashamed. And one of the first marks of true faith is you get out there and you go with gusto for Christ. Now, some of us really stumble and mumble and 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 really make messy, messy things happen uh, because we're not ashamed. And we get this idea that not ashamed doesn't mean don't be tactful. <laughs> or not ashamed doesn't mean that we, we don't show politeness and, and, and consideration to others. Now, remember, not being ashamed doesn't mean it, that we don't show love and kindness. But it does mean that we do let others know. Baptism is part of that. The whole group of the Christian church believes intimately that baptism is so integral to salvation that they have as their teaching that you must be baptized to be saved. Uh, We do not hold to that doctrine. Nevertheless, we do expect all who say the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior are baptized. Not before they say the name of Jesus as their Savior, but after. And certainly, what must I do? I must enter into that relationship with him. It's a wonderful relationship. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Revelations 3.20 If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. I stand at the door. He's standing there at your door of your heart today. You don't have to come up to the front. You don't have to do any special religious act, but you do have to get real with God and open your heart to Him in full surrender. Let's have the music team come up. The stand is the next song. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. And of course, we would ask you to stand once the introduction is completed. We thank you for each and every one here bowed before you as hearts bowed before you declaring, I surrender. Lord, perhaps there's one amongst us, more than one, whose hearts they know are not surrendered. Lord, may you in your fullness come in May your Holy Spirit make a cleansing, make a connection, make salvation so that they will be able to say, I'm your disciple. I'm your child. I'm born again. I am that fruitful tree. I am that clean house. And may we go forth from this place ready to do your will. We thank you again for this time today and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.